Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian, your weekly medical appointment that we promise will never hurt, even if you're scared of needles. You'll just feel a little prick. It's our job to offer useful advice and informed opinion every week, but I must make it clear that if you feel unwell, you should always seek medical help, either by using NHS 111 Helpline, consulting your GP, or visiting your nearest hospital. The opinions expressed in this podcast are purely my own and those of my guests and should not be relied on for health or personal advice. With me, as always, is my good friend, journalist Alex Stanger. Hello. And today, my guest is Denise Welsh. Hello. Because our subject is mental health and depression. Mm-hmm. And Denise, you've talked a lot about this, haven't you? I have. I've talked for, well, to be honest, I've talked to those who would listen for 30 years because mine started, my eldest son, Matty, is um, 30. And um, just, you know, um, just uh, recently 30. And mine started as um, postnatal depression. Mm. Or as some people prefer to say postnatal illness, because there are certain, as you will know, manifestations of of postnatal illness and depression is one of them. But mine was mine was very severe. Was it recognised immediately or well, did it, you sort it, of struggle on? No, I no, and, and I think because because I've spoken to hundreds, nay, thousands of women in the last 30 years who've, who, who've, who've suffered from this, this condition. Some who I'm, I hasten to add have made, gone on to make a complete recovery mm. and some like myself who have just had to learn to, li- to, to live with it. But um, from the onset of my condition... My mum, my dad, my then husband, Tim, who's still my friend, my my sister, my friends, never, ever considered that this was anything other than a serious illness. And if if I hadn't had that support, I can honestly say I don't know what the outcome would have been. Because if you think that you're going to feel like that forevermore, and when you don't have people telling you you won't, you know, my mum said to me every day, you will get better, you will get better. She had to take unpaid absence from work to stay with me. And, and it was, we, we had my baby, I had Matthew in London. But I can remember sitting, it was, so for those who are interested in the, in the onset of it, if I can tell mm-hmm. the, the story and try to praise it, I had him in um, London, natural childbirth, which I hadn't signed up for, but that's what they did. Mm. You know, I was apparently screaming, please hit me over the head with a spiked mallet for pain relief. But anyway, never mind. Out he came after a long that's labor. That's another podcast. That that's yeah. another podcast. <laughs> yeah. And out he came. And basically for the first few days, I was, um, I felt great. I apparently was the only one in the hospital not to pull the the nighttime cord. Everything was fine and dandy. It was five days later when we started to drive home through an area of London that I had lived in for 10 years. And I can just remember feeling disconnected. 
And basically, um, after a few days at home, I had a massive panic attack and the whole lactation process stopped. So I went from having full breasts to nothing. And, I, and, and so anyway, went out and got some bottles, started bottle feeding. And literally a week after he was born, I went out for a walk with my mum. And it was the day of the Hillsborough disaster. Mm. And I remember popping into a shop to get some milk, coming out and telling my mum this awful thing's happened. 96 people have died. By the time we got back to the flat, half, half, you know, half a mile away, mum asked me a question about it. And I can remember saying that was a dream that I had. And she went, you've just no, darling, you've just told me when you came out the shop. And I went, no, that was a dream. She thought, uh-oh. Got into the flat. Two friends of mine were there. And um, two of my best gay friends who always made me laugh. And, they were t- and, and I just remember they were talking to me. And this blackness started at my feet and rose like a, like a physical blanket. And the colour went from my life, which is how I explain it feels like. The colour went from my life and the joy had gone. And it still brings a lump to my throat because it still happens to me. It just doesn't happen as intensely as that. And, I, and I've learned not to be as frightened of it because I know the unwelcome visitor will leave. But at that point, I think I lost something like a stone and a half in a fortnight. And I can remember mum making me go and do the bottles to keep up the physical contact with the baby. And um, I, 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 would, I was in and out of knowing who the baby was. I, it was like, what? why am I feeling like this? Why have I got this baby? It was a, the most horrific experience. Anyway, that was 30 years ago. When I started to come out of the blackness, my local newspaper in Newcastle, Alex, you were because I'm from yeah. the same place, the yeah. Evening Chronicle. The Evening Chronicle, yeah. They asked me if I would do an article about it because I had talked to somebody who worked on the paper. And I willingly said yes, not thinking anything of it. It was picked up by a woman's magazine and I got asked to do the talk shows that were around at the time, like The Time, The Place and the Robert Kilroy Silk Show and everything. And I can remember my then agent, who was about 120, <laughs> him going to me, darling, darling, you mustn't be talking about this. Yes. Everyone will think you're mad. Yes. And I can just remember thinking, but if I had got something else serious as a result of having a child... I can't let this happen and have nothing Mm. positive come out about this. It didn't occur to me about people not employing me. And to be perfectly honest, like to this day, I don't give a... Toss. I don't want to work for those people who wouldn't employ me because I live with a mental illness. And and so that was the start of me being a very lone voice um, talking about mental illness when nobody else was. You said just before um, when we did the intro, you said um, you were talking about this when people wouldn't listen. And so who were, who wasn't listening to you? I well, mean, who was, was obviously your agents trying to say, keep it quiet. It keep wasn't it quiet. so much that nobody wasn't listening is that nobody was talking about it. Mm. I mean, I would have given, honestly, Alex, I would have given all I wanted was to see somebody who was as bad as me. I mean, I was almost catatonic. And I went to see my GP in London, who was who was a lady maybe in her 60s, probably around about the age that I am now. And this GP leant forward to me and she said, exactly in this tone, she went, well, the thing is, dear, I had five children and I just didn't have time to get depressed. Oh, my goodness, mate. That is what she said to me. Oh, my gosh. And that very night, my mum packed me in a car and took me up north. Do you think things are better with doctors now from your experience? Oh, my God, I absolutely do. And where I live in Cheshire in my uh, my adopted home, I have the most wonderful 
doctors. That, but they also, they work with me with it, Christian. Do you know what I mean? They they know that I know quite a lot about my illness. You are the expert on it. And, and, and I am. Mm. And, and, um, and so they kind of work, we work together on what I, what I might need and what medications I've had and changes over the, over the years. And I've seen a, a huge, di- a huge difference. But, but 20 years ago, I can remember when I was in Corrie, there was a um, GMTV have that or uh, whatever it's GMB, what, I think it was whatever it was called at the time. They have a get up and give appeal every year. And one of the beneficiaries 20 years ago was mine, the mental health charity. Mm. And it was the first time a mental health charity had ever been a beneficiary. And I can remember doing a down the line from the cobbles to Lorraine and getting a personal letter. Lorraine and I talk about it to this day, getting a personal handwritten letter from Lorraine to say, in all of the charity appeals we have ever had, we have never had a response like you talking about mental illness. You know, um, people will go on and say, oh, well, you know. I've got this physical condition or my child's got this physical condition and it's wonderful and, of course, raising awareness as we have to do. But there'd been nobody who would go on and talk about their own experience of mental illness. So it's a big difference between someone from a charity going on and talking and Mm. the sufferer. I remember starting to get letters and emails and um, however people contacted you then in the black and white days, as Louis calls them, um, and, uh, and and being overwhelmed by the response of, of so many people who had never... To, to be able to turn the telly on and go, that's what I've got. Yeah. And that's why when I had a recent bout that someone um, someone got in touch with me and said, for the first time in 20, 20 years, my mum has hugged me because I've shown her the video of you talking. And I seem to be able to explain it in a way that people who don't understand it suddenly get more of an understanding. I think because I've just been wanging on about it for 30 years, to be honest. But one of the hardest things I know from, you know, sitting listening to patients is, particularly when you're, you know, struggling with it, is to explain how you're feeling. It yeah. can be really hard, can't it? So the, thing, the thing about the word depression as well, because we all say it, and listen, I'm not precious about it. You know, mm. people go, oh, I'm really depressed. I didn't get this. Or I'm really, and, and, you know, the thing is, when my mum died seven years ago, I was emotionally traumatised like anybody would be who, who loved their mum, but I didn't get my depression. A year gone January, sitting on the beach in Grenada with my beloved husband, with the waves lapping at my feet and the palm trees swaying, I started to get an episode in the middle of eating some apple pie. That's And can you feel it coming on? Absolutely. I mean, and, and how does it manifest? You talked about the blackness coming up. I mean, do it you know that it's with, coming? It starts with, um, I get... Um, I start, I, I can usually tell 24 hours before that I may be getting one. I start to project. So I start getting anxious and worrying about things that the day before I would have gone, oh God, I'm not even going to think about that. Projecting about things that are going to happen. I get very angsty about um, clutter and mess. And I'm a very untidy person. I'm a tidy person trapped in the body of somebody who's untidy. And I can live with a lot of clutter, not dirt, but a lot of a lot of clutter. I start to get, I, I, you know, Lincoln's an artist. I'm going, Donnie, you've got to, and I can feel something's happening. And then I get a metallic taste in my mouth, a tingling in my palms, and the colour starts to go. And it's like a, a veil. And, and, and years ago, when I did Loose Women in the very early days, it's trying to find the analogy. There was an actress called um, Terry Dwyer who um, used to do it occasionally, you know, Terry. And her dad was dying. And she said to me, 
Um, and I said, that's a great question. Let's keep it for the for the air rather than talk about it before. So she said to me, um, but what? Wh- why is your depression worse than my depression? Because my dad's dying. And I said, well, A, it's not worse. I said, but if you went home tonight and someone said, the doctor's been in and he's found a cure for your dad, here's this tablet and your dad's going to get well, would your depression, in inverted commas, go? And she said, well, of course it would. And I said, well, mine wouldn't. Nothing in my life affects me getting it and nothing would change it. So I used to say it was like someone coming to the door and saying you've won, I don't know, 18 million on the lottery, if that's what would make you happy. Mm. Or saying your whole family, who you love more than anything in the world, have been wiped out in an aircraft disaster. Nothing. So when people talk about happy pills and stuff, it really upsets me because the depressed person does not want to be happy. They want to feel normal. They want to be able to feel happy if something makes them happy. They want to be able to feel sad if something makes them sad. They want to feel something. And that's what it robs you of. And it robs you of the ability to love. And my son's song, one of the songs on his previous album, he's in the band The 1975. I know you like them. But he wrote this song called She Lays Down. And it's... It's about how when he was older and I told him what mum's poorly was and I used to lie down next to him when he was a baby praying, I'm not religious, but praying to the universe or whatever, to whatever, to help me love my child. And it's something that I say to people who are depressed, you will be able to love again. And that's when we have the tragic headlines because if people think that they won't, that's when, you know. That's made me very upset. I'm the... because I think that you have that fear and you've got this little newborn baby. And you have a newborn and baby. Must be and it's the awful. most cruel time for it to happen. It's a horrible thing to happen, but it robs you of that mm. ability to love because you feel nothing. And and it's so hard because I remember doing I've only ever had to pull out of one show because of my illness ever in forty years. And it was a pantomime at Stockport. <laughs> We don't and, blame you for yeah, that, do yeah, you, exactly, exactly. I have <laughs> and uh, but it was so interesting how it was the local newspaper at the time. I'm sure it's completely changed now, but and the national newspapers were very, were quite supportive. Then this local newspaper, and I and, and I quote, it said. Um, Denise Welsh um, pulled out of um, the pantomime um, this weekend, citing in inverted commas, nervous exhaustion and disappointed thousands of fans who had booked to see her. However, Susie Snodgrass, or whatever she was called, playing Snow White, despite a broken wrist, went on and soldiered on. And I can remember thinking... That is how a lot of people yeah. think. It's the, it's the inverted yeah. commas. It's the that's inverted the worst commas. bit, yeah. isn't it? You and how Susie had gone on. If I'd had a plaster cast off oh, my whole body, Susie. I would. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Terrible. Yeah. And, Terrible. And, and so that's why I, I suppose I felt the, not the need, it's therapeutic to me also, but to, um, to inform. I wanted to, ask, I wanted to go back and ask you something because you just made me. Sure. Uh, I really did nearly come to tears there, Denise, when you were talking about with Matty. Were you terrified about having another child? Terrified. That's why there's 12 years in between them. Right. And um, don't go to Amsterdam on a weekend. That's how I conceived Louis. Um, (laughs) He always goes, please don't tell that story. He once said, please don't tell that story on Richard and Judy. I said, no, but I've told it on Loose Women and now I'm telling it on Christian and Alex's podcast. Um, No, it it was 12 years. I'd always wanted more than one child, but I was too frightened, as was Tim, because he said that he he lost his wife. You know, I mean, we had only been together six months when I when I conceived Matty. Oh, wow. 
we were both delighted, I have yes. to say. Yeah. And we weren't doing much about not, you know, we were in our mid-30s. He was nearly 40. So we were quite happy to, to have a child. And... Um, and he was, I remember at the time, it's weird things as well, like he was playing at the time, he was playing a, an old club, com- well, he was playing a, not old, but he was playing a club comic in a series called Boone with Mike Elphick. And he had to grow this moustache. And he had to, oh, it sounds crazy, but, you know, he, he had to talk to me with his hand over his moustache because when he took it away, and I could remember saying it, why is everybody change? Why is everybody making things change? Why is everything changing? Everything feels different. Why are you doing that? Why? You know, because I felt like the whole world had shifted and, yeah. and, and everything was different and everything. That's another thing when you asked me before about how it manifests. I start to feel everything is different. And the recent episode I had, because I'm doing Calendar Girls, the musical okay. tour, and I had this virus recently that lots of people had had. And although I'm doing self-diagnosis here, Christian, you might tell me something else, but this is how oh, I felt that the, that, the, uh, <laughs> that the illness itself wouldn't go away from my head. So everything was in my head. So I went on stage and I felt a disconnect because I could hear my own voice really loudly because of whatever was going on virus-wise. But I think my body turned it into fear of the disconnect that I have because I felt strange. And I haven't had an actual panic attack for years. Mm. It, I used to have panic, anxiety and depression. Now I really just have depression. But I was on stage and just a few weeks ago and I literally started to think I got the dry mouth, the throat was going, the, the heart racing. And I thought, I can't, I, I was projecting a speech ahead, a speech ahead. I couldn't, my song was coming up, thinking, I can't, remember, I can't remember my song, I can't remember my song. And this panic, and I spotted my friend Karen Dunbar, Scottish actress across the stage, and she, she, her perception was unbelievable. She knew what was happening. Nobody else would have known. And she just saw me and just was was doing this and I had to take it a speech at a time and it was horrendous and I came off and I was in a state. I went on that night to kind of prove to myself that I could do it and I remember speaking to Lincoln, my husband, that night saying, it hasn't gone into the depression. That's the good thing. It's 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 gone. I'm okay. And the next morning I woke up. I woke up. Bang, it was there. Oh. Um, There's so much, so much I want to talk about but yeah. actually one thing that, two things that have just sort of stemmed from that is other people living with someone with depression. Mm. I think, you, you know, we should acknowledge it can be bloody hard work, you can't it? Are, you know, it's one of the and no things one says that, that I talk No, they don't. And it's okay to say that. And you know what? And especially when it happened when, you know, when I had a baby, which, which you know, a lot of women that I've spoken to, the origins are premenstrual, mm. postnatal, mm. you know, that not always, but often, if they've never had it before. And um, Tim used to say that, um, that he would go in the local pub in, um, in uh, Stocksfield, you know, in, yeah, in Prudder, where yeah, we lived. yeah. yeah. And, of course, other men's wives had had a baby. So what he got was, oh, man, tell her, take her to the yeah. metro centre and get her a new dress. Oh, cheer your face up like this. <laughs> and he was, he, was a, he was a lone person having to pretend that everything was all right. Um, I mean, I've been so incredibly lucky because Lincoln, my husband that I've been with for nine years now, he honestly said to me very openly and he said, you know, before I met you, I would have possibly been the person that said, pull yourself together, yeah. snap out of it, cheer up, love, yeah. it might never happen. He said, because it's difficult. If you've never met anybody or been around it, 
Um, whereas now he's, I mean, he's he's been wonderful from from day one, yeah. you know. And I've been very lucky because I do still speak to women, and and these letters that I get, and the recent thing when I charted it on social media. The response I got from people saying, I'm going to show my partner this because he doesn't understand. I can't tell my mum this. They just say, pull yourself together. What have you got to be depressed about? It's mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I wanted to that sort of sprung into my head was actually, you know, you were saying about your actor's friend during that who just knew and sort of yeah. gave you that look. Yeah. But that's, it's okay to talk about it as well. And I always say, you know, be that person who goes, no, Denise, are you okay, really? Yeah. And you may not want to tell them, but at least you've asked. It's, it's such a little I thing, don't know but it's why. so important. You see, it, it baffles me, the fact that there is a stigma. There is a, it, you know, because it's like, I remember once saying, I wish I had cancer. Now, that's a really dramatic statement. And my mum died of cancer. We are all affected by cancer. I'm doing a wonderful play about losing someone to cancer. The reason I said that was because I felt if I had cancer, even though you, Alex, might not know what it feels like to have cancer, your sympathy, your empathy is immediately with me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said when I was so desperate once because I wanted an illness. I remember they once, the way I described it coming on, I remember a psychiatrist saying to me, um, I think you've got temporal lobe epilepsy. And although people said to me, if you do have this, you know you may never be able to drive again and stuff like that. I didn't care. No. I wanted them to say you've got temporal lobe epilepsy and here is the tablet yes. that will make yeah. you better. No matter what the condition was, even if it was terminal, yeah. God forbid. But do you know what I mean? I wanted them to say this this might make you mm. better or we can try this or we can because because i think that naively you think that in this day and age that you could get a pill you could get an antidepressant and that hopefully <coughs> will just sort you out i Absolutely. mean that, that 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 is me completely <coughs> naively thinking that hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official etf of the ncaa the future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How have you tried to help yourself or tried to work through it? I mean, what, what kind of measures can you go to or is it nothing? You've just got to ride it. I think for me was 
learning <clears throat> that this is something that I live with. Right. Rather than thinking that one day I will be cured. Mm. And that was a massive step forward to me. How long was Acceptance. that? Acceptance. When did you get to that point? Was that quite, a, quite a long time ago, right. I think. Probably, I mean, I've had it for 30 years, so probably about... 15, 16, 17 years ago, I remember thinking, because the episodes of, of wellness would get longer. But I realised that this wasn't going to go away, but that it would all, I talk about it as the unwelcome visitor who mm. makes an uninvited call and you have to tolerate him or her while they're there, but they will always go. And I think people who are poorly need to know that they will always go. I will always take an antidepressant, which I don't think are happy pills. They're not like tranquilizers. They allow people to see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's personal choice. Some people don't want to do mm. medication. But the thing that annoys me about that is my mum always used to say, if you had bronchitis, you'd take an antibiotic. And um, as I say, talking about it, enjoying the fact that my life is fab, not that I have to, you know, I don't drink anymore, taking the alcohol out as well. Lincoln and I stopped drinking seven years ago. Were you drinking to medicate? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And doing drugs. And it's very, very common now. I, was, I, so I was taking drugs because someone once told me, and I've been open about this in an autobiography that I wrote years ago, the reason that I started doing cocaine, which somehow passed me by in my youth when everybody was mm. doing bits and bobs, it just didn't come into my life, was because someone said to me, that will make you feel better. Mm. And when you are clinically depressed, you will do anything to feel better mm -hmm. and that made me feel better for 10 minutes by which time I was on a rocky road and the destruction it compounded it so what I say to people is giving up alcohol doesn't cure depression but it stops compounding it and similarly with everything else as well I was self-medicating for yeah. years trying desperately to feel to feel to feel to feel to feel. to feel. That's I mean, what exactly you said it. about antidepressants. It's, it's really when I introduced the idea to my patients, that's the reaction. Like, oh, you know, there's this immediate. Oh, yeah. that's Isn't a big funny? deal, and Major. I'll be hooked on yeah. them, and I, you know, but they can really help. What does worry me is the sort of NHS GP ten minute appointment approach, which yeah. is antidepressants off you go. Absolutely, and it takes so much more than that. Absolutely. Did you have talk therapy? Of any I did. The talk therapy for me helps when I'm not in a depression. When I'm in a depression, no amount of talking helps. When it's got to that stage and it's in my system I have to wait for it to lift sorry, can I go back to just just how it actually does affect because we talked about it coming on like that mm. and then what happens I mean are you just unable to I lose you... all my desire to talk to anybody right so for example the recent attack came on a day when Matty and you can understand how how much I want to see my eldest son before he goes away on a world tour for two years and I'm hardly going to see him. He was bringing his girlfriend to see the show. So that is something that would bring me great joy and I would really look forward to, to Gabby seeing the show. Um, I didn't want to be with anybody. I don't, it's not that I don't want to be with my family. I, I like to know they're there, but I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, and... I just don't want I it, the 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 phone ringing ringing makes me ma makes me jump and if I can I am much kinder to myself I had to write a letter for a, a wonderful magazine called Happyful magazine which is a great um mental health um magazine and um and and well-being and I said I would be kinder to myself so I had two breakdowns when I was doing Corrie because I didn't feel I could take time out now, I would for sure. 
I mean, one thing I think is really important to acknowledge is that it's sometimes really hard to ask for help. It's almost that self-destructive nature of depression that means you don't feel worthy of reaching out and asking for help. Because why? Who cares about me? Well, I think because people are used to hearing people say, pull pull yourself Mm. together, snap out of it. And one of the main things is... Well, what have you got to be depressed about? As if it has to be for for a reason. And yeah. I think with men, I hate to generalise and, and, and split the genders, but I do think that that men, a lot of it is conditioning because of the way they, the big boys don't cry thing, which I know we try not to do now, but I think some people it's 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 too late because that's that's the way they've been brought mm. up. Um, and I, you know, I speak to, um, I, I did a talk once, um, a sort of after dinner thing, which I don't do very many of, but I did it for um, a services in um, Leeming. And it was a kind of, it wasn't just about my illness. It was just about being me in my life. And I sort of waffled on inanely for an hour or something. <laughs> and I cannot tell you, there was a queue of men all lining up to talk to me about giving up alcohol and about my depression because of their untreated PTSD and what had happened and the fact that they couldn't talk about it because it was just something that you're meant to get over. And the thought of what these people have to go through and witness and that we're not supporting them enough is just... That's women as well, of course, but this was a particularly male-dominated function that I was was at. Um, And they were absolutely all coming up to me and going, I mean... I don't have a drink problem, but, you know, I'm just um, vaguely curious as yeah. to how you um, gave up. And of course, of course, they 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 do. People are scared of the of the of the title of alcoholic. I'm not bothered about that. Mm. If you're powerless over alcohol, that's what if you're an alcoholic, so be it. Um, but it just it was the fact that I was a catalyst to people talking about it. That's what that's what people need in order to to open up. So I think that there's a few people keep saying to me. Quite a lot, actually, recently when I did my spate of charting my journey from being poorly to becoming well again over a week. People keep saying, um, especially in the in our industry, on in the television industry, they go, um, God, you're so brave. And I think, I don't think I'm brave. I think I'm being honest, but it helps me to help other people. But what they're kind of meaning, a lot of them, is that, Aren't you worried what people will think of yeah. you? Aren't That's you really what they're saying. I also think I don't give a monkey. I remember once working with the producer and um, her admitting that she had problems and admitting it at work and it saying that she felt it affected her work, affected how she was viewed at work. I'm sure. And I think there are a lot of people who are worried about that side of so things. So do I. But it's is... interesting. My friend Lucy Nicholas is a mental health writer and she wrote this piece for The Independent this week and it's about how psychiatric, how people working in the psychiatric industry it surely that's an asset to working if you if you've stuck because I know with me I want to talk to people who've had it you know as well as having medical knowledge it's like my my GP that I had for a long time who's retired now he was a recovered alcoholic but also a brilliant GP so that was the person I wanted to see because he could understand on a on an experience level and a medical level so to me what you you know Unless your illness is stop, my illness doesn't stop me stop me working. Okay, so I had to take a week off. That's the first week off I've had in 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 years. But so this, we had four understudies on the other night. Other people are off for for other things. And did you know one of the statistics as well, which I found heartbreaking, is that nineteen. This is a couple of years ago. It's maybe changed, but ninety nine percent of people who are off with a mental illness don't get a get well card. 
And yet you would immediately send a get well card to Flory, who was off. Because people feel awkward sort of getting involved. Or because people at work go, well, I mean, I felt a bit, (laughs) I felt a bit low last week. Didn't stop me coming in. It's judgment and stigma. I mean, it's no coincidence that, you know, the biggest killer of young men in this country and probably other countries is suicide. Yeah. And that's a horrible thing to even say it is, out loud, but it isn't is. it? Because so of why that have toxic, we still got a stigma yeah, about it? It's rife. That toxic masculinity of them not being able to talk to anybody about it, them feeling so desperate and no way out. It's it that's what you know upsets me so much and then especially when you've got a sort of when you've got a community like the lgbtq community as well can you imagine so you're struggling with your sexuality that adding to that and that's why i'm so proud of matty because he does so much for that community and for Mm. mental health in that Mm. as well sorry i just no 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 it's all important and 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 this you know that recently there's been a you know reality tv we've seen actually i think three suicides or something now and that that does concern me. I worry about the sort of, you know... There's apparently been 20 over the reality television years in this country altogether, altogether with people who've become famous through reality television, a statistic I read I mean, I'm looking today. surprised, but I shouldn't really be surprised because mm. it is fairly brutal, isn't it? And if you're already fragile, it's, it, it must be... A, I mean, I'm interested because I, I know think... you did Big Brother and I'm wondering, mm. if I can be blunt, why? <laughs> Money. <laughs> Okay, that's a good question. You get a lot of money for Big Brother, a lot. And also, I had um, very poor advice at the time where I was sort of manipulated by some management issues about what was going to happen as a result of it. It was a load of rubbish. But anyway, it was the wrong time for me to go in there. I won it. And thank you to those who voted for me. But it was a bit of a hollow victory because it was a miserable, miserable time for me. Really horrible time. But if you leave, you don't get your money. Um. And um, and I remember thinking then that uh, not just not just for me, but for, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to suffer from clinical depression to, 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 to be to be stressed and vulnerable in situations like that. And I do remember questioning afterwards that I was only given well, I was allotted 10 minutes. I was already signed up um taken undercover to the hotel, all of this stuff that you do. So so I must have signed on weeks before because there's a whole cloak and dagger issue mm. before you yeah. go in there. The, the suitcase had been emptied, all of this, and I'm going into the house the next day. And then the psychologist was sent to see me for 10 minutes. And of course, at the time, I was fine, you know. But you've got, you had a history as well yeah, at this point. But it's highly unlikely. And this is my concern. Let's say you're a you're a, a, a young thing who's desperately yes. wanting to... You're not going to reveal all that on a phone call to no. a psychologist, no, are you? You're, you're going to do anything you and can to And the thing about reality... Fair, listen, I love a bit of reality television, particularly the American, the Real Housewives of Anywhere. You know, I'm obsessed. and married to medicine and all of them. I love it. Lincoln, it's a nightmare for him, my house. <laughs> 90 Day Fiancé is my utter favourite. Um, so I'm not poo-pooing reality television. I love a bit of it myself. But these days, you know, if you used to say to a 12-year-old, what do you want to do for a living? They'd go, um, if, you, if you say to a 12-year-old now, what do you want to be? And you either go, I want to be famous. And you mm. go, that's fantastic. What do you want to be famous for? And they go, well, I just want to be famous. And that used to be a joke. Now, that is a job. It's reality. <laughs> it, it, that we have given people the, the, the opportunity to be famous. And the thought of being famous with all the... There's some wonderful things that come with being recognised, of course, but there's a massive, massive downside. And I was a victim of, of the press for years. I was hacked by yeah. a very famous group of newspapers for seven years, which, which didn't help, mm. you know, with lots of things, compounded lots of things. So there's a real downside to stuff yes. my kids suffered the th- but at least that was backed up by 
the reason this is a consequence of being an actress mm. is what's happened to me or a presenter or whatever. The thought of it being nothing. You can't go back to your normal day job when you've done something like not just Love Island, but, you know, we can use that as sort of a young person's uh, thing at the moment. You can't go back to your normal job. You've got, I always remember, Rula Lenska mm-hmm. saying to me, a hundred years ago, when I wasn't well known at all, I was a rep actress and I'd married Tim. And she said to me, do you know something, darling? She said, when you become famous, it's very rarely that you change. It's the people around you that change. Yeah. So I can remember when I got a little bit famous, somebody will say, oh, we're all going to the pub Friday for June's birthday. And you go, actually, I can't do Friday. Oh, sorry, we haven't got a red carpet for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry, there's no awards for you. And you go, I'm not saying that. So... You've got these kids who've come from nothing. They've seen that you, you know, yeah. they've seen the red carpets and they've seen all the plus side of, of life. But the actual reality, no pun intended, mm. of being a reality star is completely and utterly different. But also, and the psychotherapist the, that I work with in my clinic, because I do a lot of uh, psychosexual work and things, and, and, and she always says, actually, the other thing is that it can go away just like that. And you get this sudden loss. And you can't go back to your normal job. You're too well known. So you lose almost everything, I suppose, because next year there's a new season and there's a new And when are you going to make your money? Because you've given up your regular job and nobody wants you. There's no more reality shows for you to do. sky high. And, of course, the other thing is, is that the type of of programmes and that type of vacuous fame um, attracts a certain type of keyboard warrior. And I am very lucky that I don't tend to have much trolling. But many, a few years ago, when Louis was 12, and he's 18 now, I'm not very good at maths. um, And I went to see Louis in a play. He was in his first little job when he went, anyway, never mind. We got in a taxi, but I'd had my phone off. I put my phone on and I saw R.I.P. Matt Healy. Okay, my eldest. And... I didn't say anything because Louis was sat there and the logical side of me looked through my phone and realised that if anything had happened, I would have heard. That's the logical side of me. The other side is sweating cobs. And basically, two 1975 fans, this is several years ago, so they were in the infancy of their huge success, but enough to have a fan base. And it turned out, because I became, when you need to find out what's going on, you become... Dempsey and Makepeace, I'm using, I'm showing my age here. You know, you become sort of Cagney and Lacey or whoever. And basically, two fans had had a fight. One liked the band and one didn't like the band. And it took me to the dark side of Twitter that I would never want to go to again. I have never witnessed the horror of that type of troll. And these people, it turned out that the girl who was doing it and I can't even, I would never go into what she was saying and what what the world that she, her friends on, what they would say about all of these, the most racist, homophobic, bullying of her. It was, it was so awful. And she works in a nail bar in Manchester. And on a day, there she is, the little nail bar girl going, hi, Susan, come in. What, how, what do you want, gel or shellac or did a little, 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 And at night... She's the most evil, vile troll. Now, that was my example of this world that I would never want to go to again. They're having that all the time. Now, some can say that's their own fault. You don't think that's going to happen. You think that happens to other people. But if you're told that you're useless and ugly and fat, and which they are, and a lot of them are there because they look 
they're supposed to look a certain way, it's going to um, impact massively on your on and your they mental say, oh, health. Just don't read them. Just don't read them. Of course you read them. And you also, young people these days, yeah. they're not alive if they're not on, on, on social media. I'm... I'm a slave to it myself sometimes do you know what I mean but you've had success on social media in the fact that you are using it as sort of a platform to it talk be, openly it about it can depression. be marvellous and recently it's been a huge tool um you know, I mean, I had, you know, I, it's, I, I don't care what likes I get on something. But if you've got a video that you've put on that's been watched by 400,000 people, that's a massive impact to, to, to have on people who, 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 are, who, who, are, who are struggling. So there are huge ways that you can use social media, social media in a very, very positive way. And my thing about that is to say to young people is that sharing that is because they, people live in this compare and despair world where everybody thinks that everybody's life is perfect. What a load of utter BS yeah. to think that, you know, nobody looks like that. Cindy Crawford, my favourite supermodel, said, do you think... She said, I wake up and want to look like Cindy Crawford in the morning. <laughs> Don't be so utterly ridiculous, you know. And so my thing is that if you're wanting people to share the good times and, and, and the successes of your family, you've also got to say, but listen, it ain't perfect. I've just had this horrendous time. And so I'm going to share that as well. So, you know. And opportunities like this to come in and and completely waffle on inanely. No, it's been... I'll tell you what, it's not been inanely. Definitely not. It's been absolutely... It's put into words I know far, far better than I ever could. I know it will help other people. And I think we have to summarise. It's that if you're feeling this way, know that actually there are... There is help available for you. You you just have to ask, and that's probably the hardest bit. And you know something? You, you, You might think that the more you talk to somebody... You will nearly always find that they go, oh, I'm so glad you've said that because my sister has that. Yeah. Very rarely do people go, oh, yeah. pull yourself together. They don't. People think they'll say that, but but they don't. There's usually somebody whose mum or their auntie or their brother or sister or themselves has been has been through it. And the more we talk about it, the more there won't be this ridiculous stigma. Exactly. You know? And I think if you're living with someone or you know someone with, you know, any sort of mental illness, it can be hard and it's fine to say that it's all right to acknowledge that um you know but ask them talk about it it's okay to talk and also to support the partners because something that we sort of i i think i went on a tangent when you brought up that 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 really good point earlier about the fact that we don't listen to the partners of people who are depressed enough it's very 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 hard and i've always said i don't know if i would have been as good as my partners and my family if the shoe had been on the other foot, mm. because it's really, really very difficult to be patient when you're living with yes. someone who when is you're being pushed away. When you're being pushed yeah. away, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's about it for this episode of Second Opinion. Big thanks to Alex and to Denise for um, so honestly and openly sharing her experiences of clinical depression and mental health in general with us today. It's a hugely important subject and talking about it honestly and openly, I think, will make huge changes for people suffering from it, for people living with people with it. Um, And that can only be a good thing. Don't forget, you can get in touch by emailing us, surgery at thepodcastworks.com, or you can message me on Twitter at Dr. Christian. If you like what you've heard, feel free to give us a five-star rating. Hey, give us a five-star rating, even if you haven't liked what you heard. Just do it. Right, we're out of time. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time for more of the same. Goodbye. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.